I'm Kate Erdley and I co-lead the RNLI's small but mighty international team. I think most people would be surprised to know that someone drowns around the world every other minute. So that's over 200,000 people a year drowning globally. And these deaths are happening in mainly low and middle income contexts. And they're primarily because of people's exposure to water. So if your everyday activities, if you work on the water, you live by the water, you do your washing in a local pond, those things just every day put you more at risk of drowning. And that's where the biggest numbers and the biggest risk is. The RNLI has had a vision for global drowning prevention from its inception and we're really lucky to be able to draw on the vision of the founder of the RNLI, Sir William Hillary, who stated his vision for a service and for drowning prevention that looked at the whole world, not just the UK and Ireland. And we're privileged 200 years later to be able to really live out that vision and help make drowning uh, prevention a reality in many places around the world. The RNLA really takes three approaches in its international work. We share our life-saving expertise because we're privileged to have 200 years of knowledge and expertise from our work in the UK and Ireland. And that takes the form of free training resources, from having trainers potentially visit countries to help capacity build. That's a really important part of what we do, and it's probably the most visible part of our international work. The second element is really focusing down on a few countries where the burden of drowning is really high. So one of those is Bangladesh, and in Bangladesh, 40 children drown every single day. And we think that's unacceptable, and we've been working with local partners since 2012 to try and bring that number down. These children are mainly under the age of five and they mainly drown very close to home. And it's an issue because there's so much water in rural Bangladesh. Every household has a pond. And we actually say when we talk to decision makers that the face of global drowning is actually a small child in Bangladesh slipping away unnoticed into a pond and unfortunately drowning. But we think there's something that can be done. We know there are interventions that work and we've been working with a local partner to prove that interventions work and to get others to scale up action. And one of the things we do is we help keep children safe through a crash. Uh, there's, a, there's a really simple intervention of physically keeping children away from the water between those peak hours of drowning of 9am and 1pm when their caregivers are really busy. The second intervention is swim safe. So that's for the slightly older children, six to 10 years, and they learn to swim in an adapted pond. So those very ponds that are the risk for the children to drown, we turn that around and we put in um, a bamboo platform. We train local swimming instructors and children aged six to 10 have lessons. And by the end of it, they can float. They know water safety, education, and they're able to also swim 25 meters. And then the third piece of that really is about um, first aid, community first aid and awareness, what to do if a child drowns. And we've managed to, through our local partners, train thousands of people. And I've had the privilege of meeting one very special woman called Nahar. And in her time with our partner in Bangladesh, she has personally trained 19,000 people in Bangladesh. So local swimming instructors, local community members and crash supervisors. She's trained 19,000 people in what to do if they find a child who has... Um, 
unfortunately fallen into a pond. Um, I've also been able to meet some of the women that Nahara's trained who've put this training into action. So really important to show that the training that she's given to those 19,000 people is saving lives and having met mothers who've pulled their own children from local ponds, done CPR and brought them back to life and being able to reunite them with Nahar is probably one of the highlights of my time with the RNLI to date. Since the RNLI's international team was formed in 2012, uh, we've probably supported drowning prevention activity in more than 40 countries, and that is in a lot of different ways. So some of that is through countries uh, downloading our technical resources that are free to use and adapting them to their context. For some of those countries, we've actually provided uh, training, capacity building, and had some RNLI trainers go and visit. In Bangladesh, for example, we helped establish a lifeguard service on the longest sea beach in the world called SeaSafe, and that's still operational now. It's a world-class lifeguard service, and we're really proud of the RNLI's role in helping establish that. And then we work also in a few countries in a longer-term way, so really trying to influence um, evidence of who's drowning, where and why, and what interventions might work, and then looking to government and others who may scale up those practical interventions, because we know we're only there for a short period of time and our role is to help raise awareness, but also to get others to take action to prevent drowning. So across those 40 countries, what we've done to help has been quite different in scale and in scope. I meet a lot of people in my work with the RNLI in the UK, in Ireland and abroad and they're often sceptical potentially of our work at the beginning. They may question why the RNLI is playing a role internationally but by the end of a conversation they generally are very supportive and often they're asking how they can help. One example is um, travelling up to London on the train from Dorset last year to support our chief executive who was attending an event at number 10 Downing Street for World Drowning Prevention Day. I was carrying the event kit as normal, uh, the life ring with World Drowning Prevention Day on, and it's often a great conversation starter. So meeting a couple of ladies on the train who actually turned out to be quite skeptical about the RNLI's work and wondered why we were working internationally. After 20 minutes of explaining to them on the train, telling them the stories of the people that we help, the people I've met personally, they really were very supportive and wanted to know how more um, they could get involved, where they could donate to the RNLI's international work. And that's just one example. I think most people, when you explain that for a very small amount of money, the lives that we can help save, the awareness we're helping raise, um, most people are actually um, surprised, uh, excited um, and supportive by the end of those conversations. The RNLI has a great story to tell in establishing World Drowning Prevention Day. It's a new United Nations Commemoration Day. It's only existed since 2021 and the RNLI actually helped establish World Drowning Prevention Day. So the RNLI's international team decided back in 2018 to try and secure a United Nations resolution. The UN had never had an action plan um, or a call to action for drowning prevention globally. So through the RNI's international team, we worked really closely with governments in New York at the UN, particularly the governments of Ireland and Bangladesh. And working really closely together, we ha helped secure the first ever United Nations resolution on global drowning prevention. This puts drowning prevention on the map. 
Um, and it really helps all governments understand the scale, the scale of drowning, the scope of drowning and what they can do to take action in their own countries. And as part of that, World Drowning Prevention Day, which happens every year on 25th of July, was established. So we've been celebrating that, commemorating it across the RNLI and across the world since July 2021. In 2024, it's going to be a really exciting year and we'll be celebrating the fourth World Drowning Prevention Day, um, actually in collaboration with many people across the RNLI family and across the world again. We've been really fortunate to be recognised by the United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organisation. It's a bit of a mouthful, but they're actually called UNESCO. That is the UN agency who really look at world heritage sites, at cultural heritage and history, and they recognised the RNLI's 200th anniversary as one of a very few special dates that they will commemorate in 2024. I think some of the hardest times I've, I've really experienced are coming face to face with families who've lost children to drowning and it's very difficult because water is everywhere and often families blame themselves and it's, it's, a, it's a really humbling experience to be sat, um, even if we don't speak the same language, um, but to sit and listen to the actual incidents of what happened, of how the child maybe slipped away, when the family realised they were missing, and then when they were found, and just the the repercussions across families and communities. So the the sound of a mother who's lost her child to drowning is universal. It's it's the same in every country. It's terrifying to listen to and we think we can help reduce that terrible loss of life in Bangladesh from drowning. And it's, it's also been a privilege to meet so many of the young women who are making a difference. So many of the swimming instructors in Bangladesh are young women because women can teach boys and girls and some of them are just inspiring. I've met a 19-year-old um, who has taught three seasons of swimming instruction in her pond, swim safe lessons. And actually she had a little boy in her village who was deaf and he was mute and she realised he was going to be at higher risk of drowning because if he fell into a pond he couldn't call for help. So she actually taught herself sign language to be able to teach this little boy how to swim and how to float and what to do if he fell into the water. The RNLI's international work is a small and important part of what we do. It's a very cost-effective way to help prevent drowning. We spend less than 2% of the RNLI's total charitable expenditure helping other countries and raising awareness of drowning prevention. And the international team also spends quite a lot of time trying to get that money back. So we receive funding from the UK government, from the Irish government, from the Isle of Man government, and all of that government funding is actually from dedicated international development spending. So it's money that has to be spent overseas. And thanks to the expertise and the knowledge and the reputation of the RNLI, we've been eligible and successful in securing that funding. I think the RNLI, to me, is, is innovative, really pushing the boundaries. We're one of the only organisations who is doing this work on global drowning prevention. I think the RNLI is a family and I've been thrilled to be part of that family for the last few years and I feel like I'm part of a family that stems back 200 years. Um, and I think the RNLI is courageous 
I think just taking action on global drowning prevention, on the amazing life saving that happens here at home, um, despite challenges, those things to me are what stands out when I, when I think about the Iron Line. Hello, it's uh, Ben Ainsley here. You've been listening to part of the RNLI's 200 Voices collection. To hear more remarkable stories, head to rnli.org slash 200 voices or subscribe to the RNLI wherever you get your podcasts. Two Hundred Voices is an adventurous audio limited production for the RNLI.